you have a hard time talking about our problems. So you see it in obviously in like in personal relationships, for example, mm-hmm. where it's this wall of communication. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Everything's fine. All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Couchbase. Couchbase is an open source, NoSQL document and key value store database. It requires no external cache, supports SQL and analytic queries for JSON data, and Couchbase supports technologies like Kubernetes, Java, .NET, JavaScript, Go, and Python. Download it today at couchbase.com backslash stackoverflow and let them know we sent you. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. We have a great guest on with us today, Chinedu Ichiro. Did I get that right? Yes. So, Chinedu, I know you created an app that was, for a while, pretty revolutionary here in New York City called Hopstop. Correct. Tell us about the genesis of that app. What inspired you to make it, and how did you build it? Well, first, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. So, this was a long time ago. This was the time where... New Yorkers used to walk around with these pocket guides that, you know, they literally give you this different subway and bus Extra directions. Extra maps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember going on a date on the Lower East Side. You know, obviously Lower East Side doesn't Great have the... <laughs> but also doesn't have the streets and the... Grid, yeah. yeah the grid. Yeah. So for me, who's spatially challenged... Same, uh, <laughs> same, same. I just thought it was terror. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting lost, but... I remember what I did the next day. So I went to the subway, picked up a subway map, laid it on the floor of the apartment I I lived in and said, look, I have to figure out this problem. Like there's driving directions. Why aren't there subway directions? And so I was really solving my own problem. This is, I always, I I literally can't remember how I saw friends before mobile phones. Like I think you'd call, you'd go over to their house and then you'd go somewhere. Like it was impossible. You yeah. stood by a phone for a while that until someone called you. Or you'd just go to a bar and wait there for an hour and a half reading something on paper, <laughs> like, a, like a wild creature. Yeah, and, and if they didn't show up, you'd just figure it out for the rest of the night. Oh, you go home and they'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry. Yeah. That's true. I will say flaking was much more like, couldn't flake because if you flaked it meant that you blew up somebody's entire night yes, it wasn't exactly. like 15 minutes like right. oh exactly. she's flaked again but i'm gonna go do it she told me so now i'm gonna do my own thing right. you just sit there and wait so you're looking at this subway map and what are the problems that you're trying to solve like how do i find the nearest subway or where do i get in like what was the problem that you were trying to solve the complete solutions. Uh, just let me tell you how bad it was so i grew up in nigeria and i remember getting lost even in our own house. And it's not that we were had this huge mansion. <laughs> no, it was like a regular house. So what I really wanted was a complete solution. I wanted something to walk me from literally leave your apartment and make a left mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go down the street and make a right and make another left and go into this particular subway entrance and go down into the subway and wait for this particular train and get out and you know it's literally step by step by step direction so in so many ways because i was almost like the ultimate user i think uh, we we ended up building a product that actually solved the complete uh, problem which is get me from where i am now to where i need to be and for people who aren't new yorkers it was a just a very nice solution i remember it really well just like oh okay Thank so, you. No, you're welcome. So what happened with Hopstop? It got sold, right? Yes, it got purchased by Apple in 2013. A little company just sort of, roll, of rolling stuff up. That's nice. Well, the backstory was that Hopstop's number one competitor 
was Google. Mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> That's a rough uh, one. But in so many ways, I think it, it may have set up the company as well for the acquisition because uh, in many ways, um, I think Apple was going through its own transformation in terms of its mapping product, et cetera. And I think transit was a, was a space I think we had excelled in. Okay, so 2013, went to Apple for a while, I'm guessing. No, actually, I uh, didn't. So Because oh, you got lost along the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we, we had hired a new CEO for Hopstop, so four years before the acquisition. So I was the original founder. Then four years into Hopstop's life, we brought in a new CEO who did a marvelous job of really scaling the business up. Okay. And so he joined Apple um, after the acquisition. I was just the, the chairman and uh, shareholder. All right, so what about today? Fast forward a little bit. Yeah, so after the acquisitions, I think a unique opportunity to sit back and really think about what else I'll do with my life. And I think I was also going through sort of my own personal challenges at that time and really thinking of what's the purpose of life, you know, in almost a very existential way. This is real. When you have a business, you can really kind of think about the business and defer all of that thinking. And then suddenly you have a moment and you're like, wait a minute, why am I here? Yes, but I would also argue that we probably have much more, all those choices every single day, mm-hmm, right? But mm-hmm. I think when you actually have some time, I mean, it's actually a wonderful time to, to do so. And so what's really kept on coming to my mind is what's the constraint, mm-hmm. right, in terms of what's possible. And what I really ended up on was Love & Magic Company, which is a company I co-founded uh, right now, which is how can we take this power of imagination and potential and turn it into a thin, right? So almost like, how do you solve problems at scale, right? And so that's what we do now. All right, so Love & Magic. First of all, I hear a company name with that, and I'm like, well, can I buy Love & Magic? sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could, buy, I could use some that. magic. What's a problem then? What is the thing that you're trying to sell? Yeah, I mean, like, without giving away the secret sauce or something a customer would want. Well, we can give away some secret sauce. Yeah, no, I, no, I think it's, it's great to give away lots of secret sauce. I think much of the learnings we've had have been things we've learned from YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I love, first of all, the whole Stack Overflow community in terms of being able to share knowledge. There's so much information available. And I remember when I started Hopstop, I, you know, I came from the hedge fund world and all I could use was Excel. That was really my core competency, mm-hmm. right? But I gathered so much information just from Googling. In fact, the very first algorithm Hopstop used was something I researched and found. So there's a modification of Dexter's shortest path algorithm mm-hmm. that I actually found. I may have actually found it on Stark Overflow. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But so I was great. really thinking about like, how would I solve a problem? And being non-technical, the ability to ask the question and mm-hmm. have resources to tell you an answer is something that I think many people underestimate. But I think part of our jobs as human beings is to share knowledge in a very practical way with other people. So I don't mind, you know, I can go into as much detail in terms of our process. But so... Okay, what is the nature of a problem? Yeah, let me right? let me yeah. let me be a let me be a client or a, or a, somebody coming to you. Like, what? Yeah. Give me a sense of the kinds of problems, then we'll make up a good one and, and uh, solve so, it. So, okay, so most people are looking for innovation. Okay, right? so most companies are challenged mm. with like, how do I innovate? Right, mm. but it's also clear that a bunch of men and women go into a room. And over the next couple of weeks or months, they come up with something amazing, Mm -hmm. right? So what we've tried to do is, okay, let's understand the first principles of that process so that we can replicate it. Mm. So the first place we start is the nature of your customer. Obviously, we say the words beloved customer. 
because what, we, what we're trying to do is to instill in our clients' mind the importance of empathy. So you can only solve a problem. Innovation is really you delivering a product that actually moves the needle in a significant way in your customer's life in some some way, right? So the community is able to access information to go from I am a novice coder and then create transformation because you've given them a community and content that lets them upgrade their skills. That's transformation. So that's what we do. We start off with with the customer. Hold on. I sell services for a living. This is how they come in. They come in and they say, our light bulb division, everybody's doing smart bulbs. I don't, what do we, I got I need innovation. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just sent you that email. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. You've received that email, yes. correct? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, you have to turn me into someone who's actually thinking about things in a calm, rational way, right? Where do you start? You're a bulb company. Is that it? Yeah. I'm, okay. I, I've got these light bulbs, and everyone's doing these okay. smart bulbs. And I, I don't. I only I, have dumb bulbs. Yeah. I only have. I can't hire a bunch of hardware engineers. Yeah. Well, forget even if it's smart or. Because maybe you've already started defining the problem. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the bulb. It's about your customer. So customer Jane lives in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. She has a brownstone and she's on a fixed income. So she needs a bulb that lasts a very long time. That could she be one. sell that brownstone. But okay, okay, <laughs> let's, we'll keep going. That could be one. But there are different types of Janes. There's a Jane that could potentially wants a light that has a self-timer in it. So she doesn't even mm. have to worry about tech. She wants to literally just plug that bulb in and it does all the sensing itself, right? So that's one. But so all innovation starts with what is the story that your beloved customer wants to make. Come Jane true. doesn't want to worry about light bulbs, right? She wants beautiful light in her beautiful brownstone. Yes. She. Yeah. Maybe it's different tones of. Okay. Maybe it's blue and red because no one does that. Maybe she needs mood lightning for her bedroom, and that's a whole new category of bulb lights. Maybe she needs, there are all kinds of needs, but innovation is only innovation. In fact, innovation would only work if it's in line with the natural tendencies of your customers, like real things that your customers are trying to So love and magic phase one, we're going to go learn about people. You're going to learn about your your customers, right? So, okay, I'm going to get a little technical. Yeah, no, that's uh, great. That's uh, what we're here for. So there's there's a concept as we looked at how to think about product development from a first principles perspective. Uh, So we said, okay, what's the first principles of product development? Mm -hmm. So that journey took us down a very interesting rabbit hole. And it really took us down to the rabbit hole of the free energy principle. Hmm. So if you remember from your physics or chemistry in school, free energy is really defined by the enthalpy within the system minus the entropy. Mm-hmm. Mm. In other formulations in biological life, that has been generalized to the observation that all life, from single cells to multi, like complex systems, all life tends to want to maximize value and reduce surprise. Okay, so that's on the biologically. From a product development and entrepreneurship perspective, those concepts translate to a story, a fantasy, a self-generated belief minus the friction of mm-hmm. doing it. So really product development from a first principles perspective is the alignment of a product experience to an aspiration of your customer. I'm just saying that is like based on a, a fundamental law of nature, right? So that's the paradigm, that's our framework in terms of how we think about product development. If you truly understand your customer's story, if you truly understand their aspirations, you can then build a product that can transform 
and make those stories come true. So that's the kind of the, the framework we bring to our client engagement. So you want to solve a problem, okay, let's understand that now, let's then build a product that creates that transformation that makes those stories come true. So. Do a lot of your um, clients, are they surprised by the things they learn for their customers? Yes, yes. So Client Right Now has been around for um, a few decades. So we started talking to the CEO about her customers and yeah. the assumptions she had around her customer base. And only at that point did she have the kind of, obviously she had done very well, but she had this new interpretation of what her customers wanted and, and how she could show up in their lives. So it's really allowed innovation to really bubble because now there's something that's really tangible that her employees can really rally around, which is the very human interest on the customers yeah. and the people she's uh, serving. So it goes away from something being theoretical and just being uh, something that you do in a PowerPoint, and it becomes very human. You know, her clients are facing these issues. So what can we do as a company to? make those stories come true. It just allows to have almost the requirements from an engineering perspective flow very naturally mm -hmm. out of an understanding of the stories. Help us get there, right? Because sure. you're talking at an abstract level about customer needs. And I've been the recipient of many a deliverable that describes the personas and the, and the things that they need, the jobs to be done, things like that, yes. right? Now I've got to turn that into something actionable. And sure. this is where consulting to actual product delivery there tends to be a, a relatively vast gap. So, so here's, here's close, how to bridge close that. that up. Yeah, yeah. so I'll, okay, I'll, I'll give you a practical example. Mm -hmm. so, so let's take the case of Uber. So the practical way of making a story come true in terms of what you're trying to do as friction comes up in three primary ways. So when someone says, I have a story, you have three ways to impact it. First, you make those stories come true faster. Mm -hmm. So speed the second is deduction of the dispersion of risk mm -hmm. of, of probability or uncertainty of those stories come true. And the third way is to reduce or change some input-output relationship, like I want to have more for the same price, I want to have the same for less. So that's a way to turn, to go from customer needs yeah. and directly flow into requirements no, if, that an engineer could understand. If you give so, me those three, I can write you a product requirement. Exactly. Document. So yeah. it's just a wonderful way. So again, we took us two years to really try to mm -hmm. go back and really think about what creation is, what innovation is, what entrepreneurship. So what I'm sharing now is kind of the way we're viewing from a first principles perspective how to think about product development. What were the three again? They were good. Sure. So I'll use Uber as a practical yeah. example. So Uber, before I would have to have got down into the streets of New York, wave a cab down. So Mm -hmm. much like the so the speed of that so I can usually get an Uber in five minutes. So there's mm -hmm. reduction of speed. Mm -hmm. Now an uncertainty, okay, well, where is the Uber? Is it gonna come? How long will it take to get there? Those are all the risk minimization things that Uber does within the app experience. Mm -hmm. And the third one, price, which I'm not hundred percent sure they've done this, but at least reduce the price of that trip, of that story of going from point A to point B at least relative to um, a yellow taxi or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, so that just gives you a way of thinking about right. how do you take a story and then, because now if you tell an engineering team, our customer's story is to be able to go from point A 
to point B. Mm-hmm. How do we minimize that time? It becomes something mm-hmm. that engineers and product developers can sit down and posit different That's right. Uh, yeah, we love problems. Yeah. So when you have a big company like Uber, and that's their original problem, I imagine that over time, the problem they're trying to solve changes just because the paradigm has shifted so much. Yes. So the way we always think about it is empathy has ROI. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Empathy yeah. has ROI. So your ability to track, and as, so we use the word beloved customers for a reason, yeah. because we want, we want our clients to really think about is if I truly understood what you wanted, if I truly understood what your hierarchy of, of stories are, if I truly understood that, I would build a product that you would have no choice but to buy. Hmm. What we have is we don't have the understanding of what those stories are. And so it really starts off with empathy. So as you build the first version of your MVP, there's going to be this uh, market share potentially of how else could you show up in their lives? Like what additional products or services could help your customer go on the journey, on the story they've intend, they've chosen to go on. So I think that's where you have to build a system of really understanding and having empathy for your customers, but then keep that loop going and checking back in. How is it going? How could we improve? Oh, was there friction there? Oh, let me remove that friction. Or oh, what else would you love to do, right? So it takes a, a holistic view of your customer and product development, innovation, growth, is the ability to track that empathy and understand what those, obviously there's some um, some use cases you won't be able to to solve. But I love the fact that you mentioned the job to be done framework. I, th- mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful framework to think about product development cycles. But you, essentially what you want to do is have a share of wallet strategy around mm-hmm. the job to be done. Mm. Just as you penetrate and you beachhead into the first use case, which is probably going to be your MVP, then it's a, it's a market share of the job to be done. And obviously the ultimate job to be done is existential transformation, life transformation. But between your MVP and that point, you know, people need to save money, get there faster, reduce risk on all manner of jobs. We have a lot of engineers that listen to this show, both in leadership and also individual contributors. What would you say to them if they're looking for ways to better understand the people that they're building for? Talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big one. Yeah. Talk to them. Yeah. Uh, Company so, doesn't always make it easy. Yeah. You know, that, that's the trick. Yeah. I, I advocate for the same thing, right? And it's actually hard to make the connection between the engineers and the customers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but it's so necessary because mm-hmm. we all have that frustration, right? You know, the mm. things you use, you're like, ah, right? But imagine if the, the engineer was just next to you or heard you mm-hmm. and felt how much you cringed when you had to press that extra button or do that irritating thing. It's the only way to build it's actually <laughs> yeah. the only way to build product that's yeah. that's real where people the thing I've noticed is unless the people you're building for, whether it's customers or inside of an organization, become advocates for the product, the people building are never adequate advocates. It has to be the users, right? And so if you sit with them and you see their frustrations, you resolve them, then they will go out and they will tell everyone, my God, they solved it. Yeah, and it's so clearly true, but the question is, why don't we do that, right? I think there's something about that where it requires you to deal with a little bit of ego, right? If you've worked really hard on something, you came up with the ideas for how you think it should be built, you brainstormed with a bunch of your colleagues, and then you say, let's invite some strangers in here, and they tell you, well, obviously it shouldn't be like that. You know, that's pretty, that can be a painful experience. You're like, well, how does this person know better than I? I mean, I've, I've thought about this for six months, they've only used it for 10 minutes. 
But obviously, that's incredible feedback that you should use, right? Like, that's yeah. what every customer is going to feel when they pick it up. Right? Yes. My personal so. motto is that life is one huge lesson in humility, and that is, that's part <laughs> that's of it, motto. right? They're just going to tell you. If you listen, that's a gift, but it's very hard because they are criticizing you. They're criticizing your thing. It's going to hurt. You can externalize some of it, but you have to just when you were when you were building it all by yourself. Was it the the MVP just you? You said you sort of laid out a map and you started searching for different algorithms online. Did did you have a team or did you build the first version yourself of? Yeah, it was just okay. So the story was I was non technical as I mentioned. I worked for a hedge fund and. Uh, Pretty I had technical, to, though. Yeah. That's actually like yeah. you were thinking algorithmically, logically, and strategically. Yeah, Computer, yes, I was, computer, yes. Computers aren't that hard, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I knew there was a solution. Mm-hmm. I knew this was computationally possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what I did was I went to Elance. So I used, again, all I could mm. use was Excel, mm-hmm. right? So I laid out. I'm like, okay, how would I describe to a computer scientist the, the data set, right? And I said, okay, I'll use Excel. That's what I could use. I said, okay, well, there's a root. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a notion of stops, maybe exits. So I created this this matrix, this uh, Excel spreadsheet, and mm-hmm. I sent it to the, uh, I put it on a site called Elance. Yeah, sure. And Elance then, it's now called Upwork. Then this developer in Siberia, Russia, mm-hmm. emailed me back, submitted a solution, and I hired him. But he ended up being an absolute genius, and he single-handedly built the core algorithm for Hopstop. Just a wonderful stroke yeah. of luck. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, it was just the fact that I was on an, a marketplace like Upwork or Elance find talent. So here I was, Nigerian, in my apartments with my just my laptop, mm-hmm. using Hotmail, Messenger, and email and I never met Alex for four years. So mm-hmm. we literally built Hopstop, literally, you know, what's a message, a messenger message, an oh, email so cool. for the for four years without having met him mm-hmm. um, at all. Uh, so, yeah. So. How did you import the data? Like, is there something that you can look at that, you know, in a sort of numerical way will pull in the stops and the space between there? Or did you have to, like, go out and walk that yeah, and chart so, it? So one of the things, I, I interned at a company called Agway, which is now bankrupt. But what they did was teach me about spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And so it's just so funny how an experience you don't think matters really is uh, but what they did, in, this was in college, it allowed me to have this almost this familiar relationship with data. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought of tables. But I think what that allowed me to do is be able to frame complexity. If you can describe things in a numeric way, it allows you to bridge the problem space, right? And, and bridge the problem space with some algorithmic or computational solution. I always say this to engineers and they never want to hear it, but it's like tech is a $1 trillion industry or more, but the actual, the many, many trillions of dollars are being organized, structured, and decisions are being made in Excel. It is the most powerful in terms of economic impact programming language in the world. Yeah. yeah. Excel array programming language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do they like hearing that? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> because it, but it does is it says like all the power is elsewhere in a tool that you really don't get to control. But like yeah. we have a I have a client in insurance and like the the CEO of that company, huge databases, enormous analytical models, and they feed into Excel for his world and he runs his company that way. And it's very normal. Yeah. Yes. Like that's how they control and understand and see their world. It's a, it's a way of perceiving the world. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's so important because that allows us to transfer information in a, mm-hmm. in a robust way. So because of my experience with Excel and some early sort of databases, I could see how you could describe it in mm-hmm. a sufficient manner, right, for an algorithm to then work on it. So I think 
uh, I think that helped. So Chinedo, it was great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming by. It's an amazing story about the first company you built and the one you're working on now. And I think a lot of really interesting ideas about, you know, you use that word magic, but like, what is the germ? You know, what is the seed that you can find in that process of getting to innovation? So if people want to find you online, if they want to check out your company, where should they look? So first of all, I love being on the, this this was great, great first experience. So people can find more about our work at uh, loveandmagic.com. We're also launching a startup school of alchemy at startupschoolofalchemy.com where we will be teaching a masterclass on how to turn ideas into a startup. Mm-hmm. Oh, very so that's cool. on uh, startupschoolofalchemy.com. Uh, you can also reach me at chinedu at loveandmagic.com. Okay, all right. If you have an idea that you want to turn into a startup through alchemy, love, and magic, reach out. Thank you. All yeah, right, go get started. If folks want to find us online and chit-chat with us, I am Ben Popper on Twitter, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. I'm Sarah Chips. I help run the community here at Stack Overflow, and I'm Sarah J. Chips at Twitter.com. And I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight, a digital product studio in New York City and a good friend of Stack Overflow, or at least I try to be. You can see me at F-Train on Twitter. 